0: And with worship as our topic today, I want to take us to a place of worship. I want to take us to a scene in heaven where worship is happening. You can turn there, but mostly I just want you to listen. Listen for the words that are being said. Try to, try to picture what is being described. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it, what does it sound like? I'm going to be reading from Revelation chapter 4. And I'm going to begin in verse 8. Some of these things are kind of hard to picture. But just listen to John as he's kind of transported to heaven and sees this scene and begins to try to describe it. Revelation chapter 4 verse 8, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say... They never stop saying this one verse song. Have you ever been singing some of these songs and think, are we really going to sing another verse of that? Is Dale going to make it? I think we've done that verse 13 times. I know you have, because I have. I've thought that. Can you imagine then these four living creatures singing this one verse over and over and over forever? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and they worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And then jumping to the next chapter, chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth." Then I looked. He looked. Then I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels. How many angels, John? Numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. That word myriads is difficult. It's difficult to inter- interpret. In the Greek language, they didn't have a number, for, they didn't have a word for a number above 10,000, and so when they were trying to express a kind of an innumerable thing, they would use that word myriad. Most commentators to take this to understand that he's saying hundreds of millions. There are, what did I see? I saw and I heard hundreds of millions of angels upon hundreds of millions of angels. Now, what would that look like? What What would that sound like? And it wasn't just that hundreds of millions of angels were singing. It says they were singing with a loud voice. I'm guessing it would shake this building. That's stupid. It would shake the earth. What was that song they sang? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard the choir's not done being built. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. I guess so. Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Man, I tell you, my soul... Longs more and more to be a part of that moment. To see and to experience that moment. That, that moment should be the most natural expression of my soul. Should be. But sin fouled my soul up. And yours. It, it clogged up my soul. It fouled up my soul so that now what should be the most exciting, the most fulfilling, the most energizing thing in my life, to have the worship of God flow through my soul is, is not the most natural thing. It's, it's, it's almost unnatural now. Not, not worship. Every person in this room worships easily and Daily. It's not worship that doesn't flow. It's, it's the worship of the Creator that's not quite as natural now. Really what's happened because of sin is the worship of creation has become more natural to us. And by natural, I mean they, we do it without thought. We do it, we do it with ease. We do it with excitement. It's very natural now for us to worship people and things and desires and, and ideas. And, and really ultimately, at the end of the day, I think we're worshiping ourselves and that is so energizing it is so fulfilling it is so fun that if we're honest with ourselves this thought has kind of run through our mind hasn't it i wonder if heaven's boring i don't know what you do i think you play a harp all day long not quite sure where we got that idea but what what gives us joy and what gives us excitement is not what we picture about heaven. I think, I think church is a part of the culprit. I think church has for some led to this idea that heaven might be boring. Because really all we think we might know of heaven is church and Let's be honest, folks, both for people inside the church and certainly for people outside the church, a church service seems like about the most boring and irrelevant way you could spend an hour of any week. And so what do they think of heaven? What's heaven? Heaven is an eternal church service. Oh my gosh, shoot me now. I mean, it just goes on forever and ever. It never ends. I mean, I don't know, folks, if that's what heaven is. I mean, we don't know who created the bobblehead, but we're... Pretty sure he was sitting in church service when he did it. (laughs) Think about, think about, watch people around you, watch your own life. We get, I got tickets, got tickets to the big game. Man, that'll keep me excited for a week or weeks. Something to talk about, something to look forward to. And if they win, oh my God, then it really carries me for another month. And, and we can go to the beach, and we can go to the mountains, and man, it just it inspires, and it, and it gives a sense of peace. I mean, for some of us, that one week, it, it kind of gets us going through the rest of the year, doesn't it? Every one of us in this room, we have things that we endure. Things that we endure great cost, we endure great sacrifice, we endure great discomfort. Why? Because it's worth it. It's worth it. We're continuing today our series on the core. We're looking at our core values. This is, this is what we value in our family. This is kind of where we're going, what we do, what we find to be a value. I'm not saying these are the only values. I'm not saying our values are better than somebody else's or ours are right and somebody, else. it's, it's our values. If you want to know who and what we are, this is what we value here. Last week we said we value the word, didn't we? Man, right here, this is our source of truth. It is, has everything we need for faith and for life. We don't, we don't have another source of authority and truth. We don't, we don't turn to a committee. We don't turn to a denominational headquarters. We turn to Scripture. So we, we value the Word. And, and today, as you've seen in the title, saw in the video, we value a lifestyle of worship and prayer. We, we value gathering, coming together, and being inspired and encouraged in the worthiness of Christ. In that passage I read, did you hear that word pop up? It's kind of an operative word for that, that passage. Over and over and over, he's worthy, he's worthy. Jesus is worthy of being the big deal. Now, I guess the challenge is, how do we take that big proclamation of heaven Way up there with all those hundreds of millions of angels and bring that down here to where we're trying to live day in and day out. Man, one passage that, that kind of helps me with that is 1 Corinthians 10.31. It's a short, simple passage. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do this week, whatever you do this afternoon, do everything to give God glory. Do everything so that God is seen as the big deal. Now, I'm guessing almost none of us have ever thought about eating and drinking in a way that God has seen as the big deal. I mean, eating and drinking, really? I mean, that's small and insignificant. That's Paul's point. You see, you and I, when we think of bringing glory to God, oh, we'll think about a a big decision, a a big service, a a big activity. Oh, we're doing this big thing for for God's glory. And Paul would say, absolutely, amen, yes, all the time. But God's glory is so all-encompassing, it actually wraps in, folks, the most menial, mindless, daily tasks of our lives. Everything. Yeah, the big stuff, sure. But the stuff you do every day without even thought. Do all of it in a way that shows God your gratitude. Do all of it in a way that, that, that shows that God is the big deal to everybody who's watching. God is the big deal in my life. Now let me switch gears on you. How is it that we can spend hundreds of dollars to, to get tickets to our team? The Skins, the Who's, the Cavs. Or whatever other team is your choice. I got tickets and we go out there and watch the game, but not just watch it, in freezing rain. Why? One simple answer. It's worth it. It's worth it. How is it that we can, at times, sacrifice some of the things that are the very most important for a job? Because it's worth it. How can we spend so much time, so much money on that hobby? Cause it's worth it. And how can we run our home ragged, run our lives ragged, running around trying to get our kids involved in, in that event or this event or boy, they've got to do this or they won't be fulfilled and happy. We run around. How, what? Cause it's worth it. Now, I'm not saying any one of these things is worth it. I'm saying that is the value judgment that you and I have made on a variety of different things in our lives. We've said it's worth it, whatever the cost, whatever the time, whatever the effort, whatever the energy, whatever, even if it hurts, it's worth it. It's worth it. Folks, that's worship. That's worship. You have just valued that. You've said, this is what it's worth to me. And if you'll think about it, think about the friends around you, the family around you, the people around you. You know what every one of them worships. You can't hide it. We're always expressing what our worth is. Now, if we could just take that mindset and let's bring it down to 1 Corinthians 10.31 again. How is it? Man, why do, you, why do you tell the truth there? It would have been much more profitable to lie. It would have protected you better to lie. Because he's worth it. Man, how can you choose to be sexually pure in this society? Man, you're going to miss love. You're going to miss out on everything. You're going to be thought of as weird because he's worth it and that statement should be true not just for the 15 year old should it that should be true for the 45 year old single divorced married he's worth it Man, why do you go to church most boring place on the planet (laughs) because he's worth it actually i don't think god thinks i'm worth being bored i don't think he wants this to be a place that's boring does he Man, how can, you, how can you go and uh, spend money and time in, in places that — I mean, those aren't vacation spots like Nicaragua or Africa. Why do you do that? Because he's worth it. He's worth going to share the gospel. He's worth that discomfort. He's worth it. You know, that kind of worship is hard. Our kind, our brand of worship, actually is pretty easy. And when I say our kind, that that, that kind of worship where we worship things. We worship people, we worship our, 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 our desires, we worship our kids, we worship money, we worship shopping. I can't imagine who does that. God help you. But we worship all these things and really ultimately we are worshiping ourselves. Well, that's easy. You see, worship Really, what it is, it's it's paying homage, it's adoring. There is a word picture in the Greek language where the picture of worship is somebody's forehead touching the ground. Because worship actually is subservient. When you worship something, you you serve it. Well, folks, I'm a pro at serving myself. I can I can't tell you how good I am. I've perfected the art of serving myself. That's easy. But ultimately, it's a lie. Because I'm not the great worth in the universe. Newsflash, <laughs> neither are you. I like the way Pastor James McDonald, he's a, he's a pastor up in the Chicago area, expressed this. He said, you know, true worship is the magnification of God and the minimization of self. Now wait a minute. Minimize, but that's what I'm good at—is maximizing myself, magnifying myself. I adore me, my my thoughts and ideas on life. That's the big deal. The things I want to do. That's the big deal. The way I want to, the way I want to think about God. That's the big deal. But it's the lie. No, true worship only magnifies Him and seeks to get me as minimized as I can. And that's why, folks, everything I've said so far is now to get to this point. That's why we need this hour right here. As a matter of fact, I think a part of what God did in the seven day cycle is He looked at you and looked at me and said, you know, when they get beyond seven days, their ability to remember that I'm the great worth really starts to falter. If you and I go much more than seven days, we're going to really be tempted to lead back to thinking, I am the big deal. I am what life is all about. And so we come in here every seven days and go, oh, wait, (laughs) check, reminder, God's the big deal. God is what life is all about. Have you ever heard somebody say, I don't need church to worship? (laughs) Yes, they do. They don't need church to worship. They need church to worship the right one. Without church, anyone, everyone, the most spiritual person will end up worshiping themselves. It's what our soul does. And so we come in here and gather and we're motivated, we're instructed, we're, we're held accountable, we're reminded there is a great worth and we, and we value being then sent back out into the week with that challenge to minimize self and to magnify Him. We need this moment. And this moment, folks, we believe should be big. This is a big moment. It is the bigness of this moment that shows His worthiness, that reminds us of His worthiness. It is the bigness of this moment that we hope encourages and motivates me, motivates you to really work At minimizing self and maximizing God. You know, folks, most of us in here, I'm guessing you would know and you would say, yeah, I know God's the big deal. But folks, knowing it doesn't mean we're doing it. Because our soul gets tempted to make me the big deal. And so we come in here and it's the bigness of this moment. says, no, God's the big deal. And He is worth me forgiving that person. He is worth me telling the truth. He is worth me following Him. Whatever that might look like this week. Whatever that might cost. He's worth it. You know, when I walk through the passages in the Bible where we're really shown worship passages like Psalms. Passages like what I just read in in Revelation. You know there there is a bigness to that folks you you see in that worship I guess I would say it's not tame it's not tame now I got to think about what I'm saying there because what's the opposite of tame wild I'm not saying worship is wild I think there's this really fine line we have to walk between a, a freedom, man, I hope people feel a freedom to worship, a, a, a freedom to love and serve God in an individual way. And yet, at the same time, if, if five, 600 of us come in here and we all do our own thing and we all do it our own way, we're not going to be looking at God. We're going to be looking around at each other, aren't we? Man, what is that person doing? How's that worship? What is that? You know, we don't want to do anything that anyway draws attention to ourselves. Ultimately, we want everything we're doing to be drawing attention to Him. So it's not wild. But it's not tame. I think when you look at worship in the Bible, quite often it's right on the edge of being unnerving. It's right on the edge of, of seeing people come undone. It is a big experience. It is a memorable experience experience but it's big and memorable it's also a simple experience and I think somebody should be able to walk in here whether it's for the umpteenth thousandth time over the last 30 years or today's their first Sunday they walk through they should be able to look around and get it you know they, they can follow along they can grasp what's going on they can pick something up and carry it home and say okay I, I can do something with this Boy, folks, here at the Heights, we value big worship. We value memorable worship. We value simple worship. And you know, when I look at, again, Revelations and Psalms, I think where I get that word bigness from is I start noticing there's words that always, not one passage, not one time, words that always appear with worship. Words like singing, shouting, clapping, mighty voices, many voices, smoke, smoke. Thunder, lightning. I mean, this is, a, this is an event that engages all the senses. It's an event where it draws all of our attention. I mean, if you get home and you say, how was worship? And they go, eh. Boy, we missed something there, didn't we? It should app. We should, wow, I mean, I know I was somewhere. I mean, even if I didn't agree with it, I know I was somewhere. Folks, when I look at all of those words, I am left that with a big part of what it means that worship is big. It means we fill the room with bigness. Man, I'd say the more people, the better, right? I would also say this, the louder, the better. I'm guessing most in this service would be okay with that. You chose to come to a band. The louder, the better. You know, not every song. I mean, yeah, there's a worship. There are songs that should be more reflective and meditative, shouldn't they? Not, not every song. Man, there's worship that doesn't involve any words. It is completely and totally silent. But yet I go back and over and over. There's all these words that if you really observe what is going on there, it implies a volume. It implies a bigness. I don't think it should be a volume that hurts. I don't think it should be a volume that distorts the music, it's so loud. But I think we want to get right up next to that line. I think we want to walk as close to that line as we can. Now, the problem is, and here's where, I mean, you know, you've ever heard the phrase worship wars? I mean, this is the problem with the line. It's not the same for everybody, is it? We've got different tolerance levels, different, different lines of where, wait, that was way too much for me. I actually would prefer to make my stake on mistake on it being too much. That it being, wow. That it would be overwhelming because I want everything we do for the bigness of God to be seen. Yeah, not that it hurts, but that it be big. You know, and I I know there's probably going to be some periodically that will say, you know, I I came to y'all's church. I think y'all are camped out about three miles on the other side of the line. (laughs) You're camped out three miles on the other side of being way too loud. You know what? That's fine. I'm not saying that somebody that thinks it's too loud is wrong that they're unspiritual that they're they're not worshiping i'm not saying that about them i'm saying we value a worship that is very memorable we wor- we value a worship that is loud and big so that we see and it reminds us of the bigness of who we're worshiping it actually is a physical experience when you walk, walk through the bible now i don't think that volume is the only issue in a philosophy of worship But it's part of what drives our philosophy. You know, if you get nothing else out of today, maybe now you know, okay, so that's why it's loud. I thought it was just they were rock and rollers who never grew up. Oh, I thought they just didn't care what we thought. No, again, agree or disagree. At least now you maybe have some comfort. Well, at least they're trying to be driven by Scripture. There there apparently is some biblical philosophy of why they worship. Folks, everything you see going on up here, None of it was just made up for fun. Every bit of it, we're thinking about the experience. Every bit of it, we're thinking about that bigness. Now, again, a worship philosophy is not just volume. I can give you another V word. A worship philosophy should be vertical. Every song should point us to the bigness of God. Every prayer should lead us to God is awesome and big. the way we give should communicate something about how big God is. The sermon should point us to the bigness of God. Folks, just our relating with one another. Our friendship, what we talk about before, during, and after the morning, as we're on our way to the car, even our relating with one another should lead each other to see the bigness and the greatness of God. We should walk away from here going, man, God is big, God is awesome. And let me say it again, so worthy. Of whatever it might cost, of whatever it might look like to follow him this week. Now, if you look at the title, it's a lifestyle of worship and prayer. We we put two things together there and I'm not even going to spend that much time on prayer. Well, really almost no time on the prayer part today. And somebody could say, you know, prayer seems like a big enough thing in the Christian life. That would have warranted a core value all by itself, right? Why not, why not have a whole entire sermon on, on prayer? Why would that not stand alone? Here's why we linked them. Two reasons. One, prayer is the other side of that worship. It, where there's, there's the big and the volume, prayer would certainly be that side that brings a little bit more of the stillness, the quietness, the, the reflectiveness. So that would be one reason I think they go together. But here's the, the biggest reason. I think no matter what I or we or anyone looks at, studies, understands about prayer, I think most of us would say prayer's hard. I have a hard time praying consistently or I have a hard time praying for any significant amount of time. A lot of people struggle with prayer. I would like to suggest one of the biggest reasons for that is our worship. I think there's a lot of worship that leaves us with a very tame and a very small God. And there's nothing that inspiring about relating with that in prayer. I I actually believe that big worship leads to big faith and to big prayers. Big worship, where I see the greatness, the transcendence of this God, and then begin to fathom the idea that blood was spilt. That Jesus died so that I could actually do something as simple as converse with this God. Man, when I see the greatness and the bigness of that, how are we not motivated inspired to converse and talk with Him? But I think so much of... What church has done is it's packaged God into nice tight little pieces, very tame little pieces. Our our worship is very structured and ordered and it's very tame little pieces and that we're not left thinking, man, I need to spend time with God. Man, I need to get on my my knees and and just enjoy the privilege of relating and talking with the great God I worshiped today. Folks, God gave us the church. To gather together every seven days. He says it, Old, New Testament, over and over. To gather together every seven days and be reminded that He's the big deal. Because no matter who you are, no matter how spiritual and mature you are, boy, we get much beyond seven days and we forget He's the big deal. And we start giving our lives to things that, probably the simplest way to say it is they don't last. Did you hear that part of the praise show up in all the songs you who are forever and ever. Folks, it's very easy for you and I to give money and time and attention and energy as if the Redskins were forever. As if shopping was... I can't even bring myself to say it. As if some hobby, as if our job, as if some desire, as if it was forever. I need to stop what I'm doing every seven days I need to come in here and go, oh yeah, that's right. That's not forever. He is. I'm not the great worth. He is. Psalm 29 verse 2 says, ascribe to the Lord the glory. Do His name. We value trying to be a church that will help you to be able to do that. Every single week, which ultimately means every single day. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the course of this prayer, and I don't, I don't think it all can be done in this prayer. I, I, I would pray that we would go home and think about this some this afternoon. That God, we could look back over the last seven days. Where did we go? What did we do? What did we spend? Spend money, spend time, spend energy. Did we do any of that in a way that showed how grateful to You we are? Did did we do any of those things in a way that would, if people were watching, they saw that You were the big deal in our lives? Boy, Lord, I know I can look at a series of days, a series of events that can leak together, and I I didn't do those in a way that showed anybody what you meant to me, what you were worth to me. God, would you give us wisdom and discernment to see if we're really living in a way that shows what you're worth to us. God, I pray that you would help us to think about how we enter this room each week. Do we come in here to sing and to give and to relate with one another and to, to devote ourselves to your word in a way that shows what you're worth to us? God, would you help us to think about the next seven days ahead? Help us to think about what, what, what is the meeting I have? What's the test I have? What, doing something with this person? God, would you show me how I can do that in a way that shows what you're worth to me? May this become, may you become all-consuming, all-encompassing so that everything in my life shows what you're worth. And thank you for giving me the church so I don't stray from that great worth and that great opportunity for only you are forever and ever. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.